Okay, I'm glad you're here. I want to, um, I want to talk about a bunch of different things today. Um, you know, uh, we're, we're beginning a new book of the Torah, um, uh, Sefer Vaikra, uh, also known as the book of Leviticus. And uh, it's sort of a personal anniversary for me. Hopefully I'll, I'll get to that. Um, and, uh, but we're also squarely positioned between two, two fundamental holidays, uh, Purim and Pesach. And so this is a very unique time in the, in the year. And we're also right on the, the precipice of Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the month of miracles, which, um, you know, there's a debate in the Talmud when God created the world, whether it was in, in Tishrei, where we celebrate Rosh Hashanah, or whether it was Rosh Chodesh Nisan, the first day of the month of Nisan. So, so and, and, and some, some people like to to try to reconcile the two and say that God created the world in thought on one of the days and indeed on another one of the days. So, but nonetheless, Rosh Chodesh Nisan is a very fundamental date in the Jewish calendar. And the day that the Mishkan, the tabernacle in the desert, which was a microcosm of the world, was brought into completion. So, so really we see very much that it's a, it's a day about the, the creation of the world. We also saw um, this past Shabbos we read, Parshas HaChodesh, which is, um, which is a reading um, in preparation of Pesach. There are four special readings that we do as Pesach approaches. This is the last of the four, where we talk about the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people, which is all about time and mastering time. And so we've got the creation of the world. We've got the first mitzvah, the mastery of time, which also calls back to Breshis. We also have this new book of the Torah, which has the first explained white space in the Torah. Um, you know, the, the, the sages say, and the, the Ramban talks about it in his introduction to the, the Torah, that the Torah is black fire on white fire. The, the, the ink of the Torah is black fire, and the cloth is not just paper that it's written on, or it's white fire, it's black fire on white fire. So, whenever you have spaces in the Torah, this is Moshe Rabbeinu, the sages explain, it's Moshe Rabbeinu thinking. So, so, where do we have that brought down, that it's about Moshe Rabbeinu thinking? It's right here in the beginning of Sefer Vayikra. So, this is also, this is also very significant. I mean, it's, it's, it's really thought. It's, it's like the landmark of thought and creation. So, these are all different... Uh, introductions um, to, uh, to today, and um, also I want to talk about, if I can, one of the, one of the patterns in, in Sefer Shmos, the book of Exodus that we just finished. So, so there's a lot to discuss. There's a lot to discuss. Let me just begin on a personal note. Um, uh, I guess it was, um, let's see, I was uh, 20... Let's see, it was 1980, <laughs> I'm doing the math uh, in front of you here. It was 1987, I was born in 1962, but I hadn't had my 25th birthday yet. So I was 24 when I started keeping Shabbos. I was 24. And um, the first Shabbos that I kept was, 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 was this Shabbos. Um, and uh, the, the way I remember it was, it was two Shabboses before Pesach. I just kind of recalled it was two Shabbases before Pesach. And then I checked one time on a calendar, what, what Parsha was two Shabbases before Pesach? And it was uh, Vayikra. 
So that, I guess, was 23 years ago. 23 years ago. And, um, and I was thinking, because Sefer Vayikra is the beginning, you know, it's talking about all the korbonos, all the sacrifices that we bring. And, you know, the first two books of the Torah are so exciting in terms of narrative. You know, you've got the whole Garden of Eden thing, and you've got the whole story of the Avos and, and the Holy Mothers and, and everything they went through, and then the whole thing going down into Egypt with Yosef and his brothers. And then the next book, Sefer Shmos, the whole getting out of Egypt with Moshe and the miracles and, and everything, the splitting of the sea. It's incredible. And then you get to Sefer Vayikra, you know, which is the next book, and it's very, relatively speaking, extremely technical. Extremely technical. And so, I thought, you know, I never really gave it much thought, but I'd always think, well, you know, it must be significant since, you know, the Torah is recording our lives. It's not just a record of everything that's happened. It's also an ongoing chronicle of what's going on in our own personal lives. So I thought, well, if that's the first Shabbos that I kept, it was... Sefer Vayikra, the beginning of Sefer Vayikra. Well, what is that? What is that? You know, like nothing really popped into my head. So 23 years later, something popped into my head. So I'm going to share it with you just on a personal note. There's, um, there's, there's something very famous at the beginning of, of uh, Sefer Vayikra. It, it's, the, the first word is Vayikra, appropriately enough. And there's got a little tiny aleph. You know, whenever there's a Masora, a, a holy tradition about when to enlarge a letter in the Sefer Torah, or when to make a letter small, there's always a lot of Torah behind that, a lot of very deep thought behind that. Especially, you know, I've given many, many uh, different talks uh, just on the subject of the letter Aleph. The letter Aleph is a continual source of fascination to me. By the way, if you want to hear one, there, it's online, Torah on iTunes.com. It's called Pronouncing the Unpronounceable. That's one talk on, on the letter Aleph. But, but anyway, here you have a miniature letter Aleph. And, uh, and I'll just read to you. It says, Vayikra el Moshem v'yadaber Hashem elav me'oho moed lemor. So in English it's, He called, He meaning Hashem, He called to Moshe, and Hashem spoke to him from the tent of meeting, saying, So, so you know, we have in English this expression, you have a calling. Right? Which means something deep in your soul is stirring. It's driving you to do something. And when we talk about a calling, uh, we, were to, we, we usually talk about something higher. Like there's a, you sense a higher mission, you know? So, so I, I saw something beautiful um, from the Chernobyl Rebbe, the Mayor Einayim. He says, look, look at the position of the word Hashem in this opening phrase. Okay? Now, you know, everybody knows that the letter Aleph is always referring to Hashem. Because the numerical equivalent of Aleph is one. Hashem is one. And, of course, you all know that if you break down the letter Aleph, it's actually composed of two Yuds and a Vav. And if you add up those constituent parts, Yud is ten, Vav is six. So ten and ten plus six is twenty-six which is the gematria, that's the numerical equivalent of the Yud Kevav Kev, Hashem's holiest name. So you see all of that in many, many, more, many, 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 many more things, believe me, all imprinted in the letter Aleph. So here's a little letter Aleph, which means that Hashem, so to speak, is, is whispering. He's whispering to us, to all of us, right? So I'm just relating this to my personal life, then we're going to get on to other topics here. 
But the Chernobyler says, look, you don't see, you don't see the actual name of Hashem until much later in the Pasuk. Vayikra, ending with the letter, the small letter Aleph, and he called. So first, many of us in our own lives, unless we're brought up in a religious family or whatever it is, and even if you're brought up in a religious family, still, you have to come to that breakthrough moment, which is when you carve out a personal relationship with Hashem. See, it's not obvious. It's not obvious. You see, there's a, there's a culture to religiousness, and then there's the essence of religiousness. A lot of people make it to the doorstep of the culture of religiousness. And the culture of religiousness can in turn, can include religious observance. As part of being, you know, a lot of times in, in modern day society we say, oh, um, I'm, a, I'm a cultural Jew. So what people mean by that is that they're not religiously connected, but they're connected, and I'm not making fun right now, but they're connected on a level of locks and bagels, and New York Times, Sunday New York Times, things like this. They're culturally Jewish things, and, and these are connections, because they, they help you to think of yourself as Jewish. And, and these things are not small things, because, believe me, the soul, any, if a person is at that place where they're not connecting to mitzvahs themselves, any reminder from the body to the soul that, the, that, the, that, there's a, that there's a higher source, that there's a Jewishness there, is very much appreciated by the soul. You know, Rabbi Green used to joke, he used to say, you know, sometimes uh, people, let's say you invite someone to your house from Shabbos, from your workplace, who, who doesn't have, um, say, much of a connection, doesn't know too much, but they're Jewish, whatever it is, and they come to Shabbos, and, you know, they, they knock on the door, and you open up the door, and they're kind of standing there, whatever it is, you know, they don't know what to expect, they're ready for some dinner together, right? So they're, they're, they're looking pretty casual out the door. So Rabbi Green was sort of half-joking by saying, if you could hear what their soul was saying at that point, it would be, Make Kiddush already! <laughs> Get me to the Shabbos table! i got to have some challah, please! You know, so, so a lot of times the, the soul is crying out, even if the body seems ultra-casual. Ultra-casual, you know? There's not that, 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 that huge correlation that's always revealed. Okay. Let's keep on going. So, so the point is like this. Even among, quote-unquote, religious people, you also have something that's, that's akin to a cultural Judaism. And ironically, and this is more of a bitter irony, ironically, that includes mitzvah observance. And yet, it's not penetrating to the soul. I mean, on a metaphysical level, of course it is. Any mitzvah that someone does, even if they do it without any kavanah, any holy intention, it's still getting through on some level. But what I'm trying to say is that, that every single person, whether they're from a religious background or from not a religious background, has to come to that point in their life where they make that breakthrough to have that personal connection to God. And that's up to every single person. Every single person has to do that. So, and, and real Judaism, or real, real, real living, I would go so far as to say, does not begin until someone makes that breakthrough. You know... I think I mentioned it last week. Rabbi Weinberger was saying in the name of, um, of the Kojnitzer Rebbe that when a person says a bracha, you know, we've got something absolutely outrageous. In, in, uh, and I'm going to give you a tool also for doing this. But I was happy because I kind of came up with this on my own and I see that this is probably a very, very old idea because it's contained in, in what the Kojnitzer Rebbe said. 
who is one of the big Hasidim of the, um, of the Baal Shem Tov. Well, let me say his thought first, and we'll extend it. When a person says a bracha, a person says, Baruch Atah... Now, let's just stop there for a moment. Baruch, however you want to translate that, the simple thing would be blessed, right? But it's also, it's also, it's more than that, but it's an acknowledgement, whatever it is. But I want to key in on the second word. Atah means you. You know, I am very unsuccessfully studied uh, Spanish (laughs) for many years. As part of my uh, high school and college for a short while curriculum. I'll tell you how bad I was at Spanish, okay? And uh, the, 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 the teacher at, uh, well, I took it freshman year at, at, at uh, Harvard, the teacher publicly, publicly felt sorry for me. And, and by that I mean like this. I was so bad at it that, um, that at one point she wanted to sort of encourage the students and um, she had like a little lottery. So she put some scraps of paper in a hat, and I, I don't even remember what the winner got. The winner got something. I don't, I don't even know. Something minor, but I mean, she was trying. She wanted to show her love for the students as whatever it is. Uh, it was all good. But anyway, the point was is that she wanted me to win the lottery so that I would feel good. And how do I know that? Because when she got to the person before me, he was picking the winning ticket. And she said, no, don't pick that one. <laughs> so I, I picked it and, you know, I mean, I, I, felt, I felt even worse, honestly, because I was like, oh, I didn't realize I was that pathetic. <laughs> but anyway, so it goes. She was trying. So, but in, in Spanish, what I'm trying to say is, is that grammatically, the idea of using a word like you and, and just so that you're all focused on the point, the second word of every blessing, and we're supposed to say a hundred blessings a day, by the way. The Gemara says you have to say, a, you have to say the word you, Atta, a hundred times a day. So if you think that this is like a small idea that I'm saying right now, it's a major, major, major idea, okay? You're saying the word to God, you, you to God, a hundred times a day, Okay? Let's consider the importance of that, the radicalness of it, if you will. So in a language like Spanish, and, and I know it's in French, I'm pretty sure it's in French also, probably all the Romance languages, and probably, probably it come, it's in Latin, I'm guessing as well, since they're all based on Latin. The idea of there's a familiar you and a formal you. And the idea, so in other words, what I'm trying to say is, is that the idea of even saying you, as opposed to he, like for instance, if you're around some very religious circles, when people talk to the, say, the head of the yeshiva, the Rosh Yeshiva, right? They'll say, um, and he's talking to the Rosh Yeshiva, okay? With with the Rosh Yeshiva like a cup of tea before he begins his um, shir, his talk, Right? Is the Rosh Hashiva going to be driving um, downtown today? I, I, I might be able to give him a lift. Now, he's talking directly to this person, right? And yet, you use the third person. And that's a sign of respect because, because let's, 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 let's just so I'm making the point, so I'm communicating. 
What's the ultimate way of being addressed in the playground? Hey, you! (laughs) Right? That is the height of informality. That's the height of informality. To, To just use something like you. And yet, here you see the sages say, you have to say you to God a hundred times a day. A hundred times a day. So what does that mean? That cultivates. If a person is doing it properly, if a person understands what they're saying at all, and I mean, that's the goal. We're not robots. We have to understand this wisdom that we've been handed. You begin a, for, a, 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 a real relationship with God as as an entity. You know, we had Ben Sion teach at the, uh, at the Minyan yesterday before uh, Mincha. And he did something very interesting. He sort of did a guided meditation that I, that I was able to participate in. And I, he, he did something very, very interesting. He had everyone close their eyes and he was talking about being, in, trying to feel enveloped in love and to things like this. And, but then, Okay, all that's good, but then he added something. Which is, he said, now, you know, everyone's eyes, was clo- eyes were closed and everyone was in like, sort of like a peaceful state and they're feeling themselves wrapped up in love. He said, now, feel that energy surrounding you slowly moving counterclockwise. Now, the reason why I was moved by that is because all of a sudden... You see, what I'm talking about, one of the major themes in all of these talks is trying to fight the idea of God being an idea as opposed to a reality. See, this is the whole idea of saying the word you. When you say you, you're talking to someone, something. If you just say, if you walk down, and now I'm going to give you another tool. If you, see, but just to finish that last point. If you feel that force, if you say, okay, I'm wrapped up in love, okay, I get it, maybe I don't, it's love, whatever. But if all of a sudden that force is now moving counterclockwise around you, then you feel it as an entity. You feel it as a distinct entity that's a reality. And that's, that's, what we're, that's the breakthrough that everyone needs to make. And even people who have made the breakthrough, you can't, you can't have just made the breakthrough because you have to keep on making the breakthrough. Otherwise, then there are certain breakthroughs that have to be made every single day. Because the klipas, the, the illusion that there's a separateness from God is so strong in this world that unless people are focused and actively breaking through, they will be buried. We will be buried by the illusion of this world. We will be buried. You know, there are people who have very strong techniques that have taken it very, very far in terms of this. I heard someone speaking this morning, and he said, you know, a big turning point in my life, he said, was, you know, there's a whole... um, uh, we should all live long, um, but there's a whole um, procedure for preparing a body for burial in, in Torah. It's called tahara, which means like purification maybe. And, and one of the things that they do is they have the, the dead body 
and they're, they're pouring water over it, you know, and it, the dead body even goes into a mikvah. Very intense. Very, very intense. And this, this friend of mine said that he saw a dead body. And he was already older when he saw it. He was probably, I don't know, in his 50s, maybe 60 when he saw it. And he said it communicated to him so strongly how much we are a slab of meat without our souls. Slab of meat. You know? There are many sages, but, you know, they're few and far between, but this was not a thought that only occurred to, to one who would actually, before they went to sleep, lie down in a coffin, an open coffin, just to make very real to themselves the idea that this world, this life, doesn't last all that long and we have to make the most out of every single day. People would try to shock themselves into this understanding of the preciousness of life. So, needing to make these breakthroughs, understanding... That God is you. So when we say, Baruch Atah, blessed are you, the Kojnitzer Rebbe says, you have to understand that God is standing right in front of you. God is right in front of you. At that moment. At every moment. But especially, you have to address Hashem as though you were addressing your friend. At that moment. So it's a big idea. It's a very big idea. Okay. So, so, and everyone has to make it. Okay. So begin with your next bracha, or try. Next time you say baruch atah, just try to have an atah moment. And if you want to close your eyes at that moment, and feel encircled, you know, just to try to get, just to try to, to really experience it and live it, go for it. So, so, so returning back to this first pasuk, you know, it says, it says, Vayikrao Moshe v'yadaber Hashem. And now it's Yudke Vavke. So, so, and he called, but this is again back to the Chernobyl. So this is how it is in, in many of our lives. And, and I feel like this maybe was, was, was the significant thing why, why, why this was my first Shabbos. So, Vayikra. So it, it, it's a little aleph. It's like a whisper. God whispers to you. So, Vayikra Moshe, right? God whispers to Moshe. You can substitute your own name there. Vayadaber, and he said, and who said? The next word is Hashem. So, in other words, in other words, a lot of us in our own lives, we've got a sense and it's brewing and it's like we can't actually put words to it, but it's an emotion. We understand there's something bigger to this world. There's something that's keeping this world going. There's a reason why we're all alive. We don't know what it is exactly, because it's still on the level of the tiny Aleph. It's the Vayikra. It's the whispering to us. But then it begins to evolve, and then finally, in the Pasuk, you see the word Hashem. We realize, oh, that's what it is. It's God talking to me. I have a purpose. I have a mission. This world has a mission. Ah, I get it. I get it. I get it. Okay. So, so I want to go further now. And uh, and I want to talk about I want to talk about a sort of a a, a very deep thing that that uh, that many people say, kind of a kabbalistic thing, 
that many people say before the performance of a mitzvah. They talk about, they say, I, I am ready to combine, to unify the name of Hashem, the yud K with the vav K. So, we say K, really, that's just a, a uh, nice way of saying the, the, the letter He, because Yud and He together is the name of Hashem. So, but really, if you look at the prayer itself, it says, I'm ready to unify the Yud He with the Vav He. So, so what does that mean? It's a very, very abstract. Very, very abstract. So, let's get into some of these ideas. To unify the name of Hashem. And if you look like in some uh, Pesach Haggadahs, before you do like some of the key mitzvahs like eating uh, maror or eating matzah or things like this, you'll see there's that intention written now. I'm ready to unify the name of Hashem. What, so what is this? God is one. We already know God is one. Of course God is one. That's the whole basis of our entire religion, our worldview. Hashem Echad. What are you talking about unifying the name of Hashem? Very mysterious. Okay, so I want to give some answers to this. It's my own understanding, but it's in accordance with the sources. So, basically like this. I want to say, I want to say the answer very, very simply. And then I'm going to give you supports for it. But let me just begin with the answer. So, what it means to unify the name of Hashem, the yud with the vav what this means basically is to reveal the hidden. It means that I am consciously revealing the presence of God in this world. And we'll go into more depth what that means exactly. Okay? You see, whenever we talk about the name of Hashem, I think it's very, very uh, uh, helpful to not picture it as it's written in the Torah, um, which is um, from right to left, right, in, a, in that way, but to picture it going from the top to the bottom, like a ladder. And you've got the Yud on top, and then the He, and then the Vav, and then the He. Okay? The Yud, of course, meaning the highest, the highest reaches of heaven. And then all the way down. Okay. And bottom He, of course, represents this world. So, so you see, you see, a lot of people make a mistake. A lot of people make a very, very big mistake. They think that God exists to the extent that I believe in Him. If I stop believing in God, then God ceases to exist. Or at least God ceases to exist for me. And so, people think, on a very strong level, I am creating God through my belief in Him. So, so that's wrong. That's incorrect. There's something to it, but it's fundamentally incorrect. God exists whether we believe in Him or not. Not only that, but God keeps us alive even when many of us don't believe in Him. 
Not only that, it goes even further. Some people, when they're drawn to steal, and they're putting their hand in someone else's pocket in order to take their wallet, God is allowing that person life and energy, even as they're choosing to misuse it. So this is amazing. Amazing. But, we do have a very, very crucial role in creation, which is not to create God or to give Him existence, because He already exists. He's keeping us alive. So then what is our crucial role in terms of the unfolding and the spiritual evolution and perfection of the world. What is our role? Our role is to reveal God. To reveal God's presence at all times. You see, when people do a mitzvah, they are not... And listen to me carefully. It's not that they're, they're taking something that wasn't holy... And now they're sanctifying it and making it holy. That's, that's an okay thought, but it's not the deeper reality. You're not sanctifying something. Why? Because God fills the entire world. God is everywhere. So that means there's a spark of holiness in everything. Right? That doesn't mean that everything is permitted to us, by the way. Some things, there's for sure a spark of holiness in it, but our job is to withdraw from it. Right? Not to do it. And in fact, on a very fundamental level, you see that we have, of the 613 mitzvahs, 365 don't-dos, and only 248 do's. And I think one of the reasons for that and, you know, you see in the, um, in the Tehillim, in the book of Psalms, King David says, Sur me tov, which means, of, first and foremost, avoid the bad, Sur me tov, and then do good. So all that syncs with the fact that there are more things that we're supposed to withdraw from. Now, if you look in the Torah, I saw something very amazing, very amazing. If you look at the instructions to Adam HaRishon, first went the positive. It says you should tend and guard the garden. So, so if you remember, a lot of people think, they, 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 they say, oh, there's so many rules to Torah, there's so many rules. Don't do this, don't do that. By the way, when I first started keeping Shabbos, you know, it was all, I can't do this, I can't do that, what's going on? And then all of a sudden I realized, oh man, you mean I get to do nothing? It was such a blessing. Um, but anyway, don't, don't misunderstand the Torah, because the very first set of instructions to humanity is God says to Adam and Chava, eat from the trees. Don't eat from that one. So in other words, the very first set of instructions is engage in life. Participate in the good things of life. So that's our orientation. But then, once... So, so the instructions to Adam began with the positive first. But after he eats from the tree of knowledge, now all of a sudden, 
the weight gets shifted. And now it becomes Sur Meirava Asetov. Now it becomes 365 Lotases and 248 positive commandments. In other words, the weight, the fixing, the rectification of our soul, of the world, becomes predominantly withdrawing and mastering self-control and not engaging in harmful acts, but also making the world better through positive action. And it says that one of the things, I heard in the name of the Ari, one of the ways that Adam, and that means all of humanity, was damaged through the eating of the fruit from the tree of knowledge, was that we don't know anymore when to act and when not to act. Now, there's nothing more fundamental to being alive than those two impulses. When to act, when not to act. Right? And that's kind of what got damaged there. But, returning to the point, returning to the point, we have to understand that God fills the entire world. God fills the entire world. And so the point is not to sanctify something because it's already sanctified on a very crucial level. But rather, when we do a mitzvah, we reveal God's presence. That's what you have to do. You have to make revealed what's hidden. And this is the idea of unifying the name yud with vav Because yud is the upper reaches of heaven. This is the idea that God exists and gives life to the entire creation, but can't be seen. Is beyond, 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 beyond. Vav and He are the lower aspects of Hashem's name which represent the revealed world. The actual Maisabreshis. This world that you can touch and feel. So what we want to do when we do a mitzvah is we want to take this, this aspect of the yud that aspect of God which is beyond, which is infinite, and to make it revealed in the vav the aspect of creation that we can see and touch. And that's what we do when we do mitzvahs. You know, very significantly, that famous Pasuk, when it's talking about how a malik, which represents evil in this world, when a malik is warring against us, it says that he's fighting against Hashem, and it uses the phrase, instead of saying, Kisei Hashem, which would be the throne of Hashem, it says, Kes Ka. The letter Aleph is missing from Kisei, from the, th- from the word throne, and the Vav and the He are missing from the name of Hashem. So you see, why? Why is Vav and He missing from the name of Hashem when it's talking about Amalek, when it's talking about evil? Because as long as evil is out there, Hashem's present presence is not fully revealed in this world. So from there you see, from the missing Vav He, that Vav and He represents the revealed aspects of Hashem. So again, we want to unify the yud with the vav We want to reveal Hashem's presence in this world. And how do we do that? By doing mitzvahs. You see, the whole idea of the Torah is it's the blueprint of creation. So every time you do a mitzvah, you're showing, you're publicly, you're publicly wiping the fog off the mirror. 
right? It's like, oh, God is there, and God is there, and God is there, and God is there. You know, I once had the thought, when we say, Shema Yisrael, Hashem Elokeinu, Hashem Echad, when we declare the oneness of Hashem, the custom is to say, on the word Echad, to stretch out the letter Dalet. So you say, Echad. Okay? So, it's very strong. And So I once was thinking, you know, it sounds like a chauffeur blast. You know? And we talk about the great chauffeur blast. Tika b'shofar gadol. We say it in the prayers. Which is going to be the chauffeur blast that heralds the arrival of the Mashiach. Right? The final fixing of the world. There's going to be a big chauffeur blast. And the whole world is going to like run out and they're going to see, okay, they're going to get the news the Mashiach has come. So, so another way of saying it is, I mean, it's going to be an actual blast, but on another level, maybe you can say like this, when all of humanity stretches out this Echad, that's going to be the great chauffeur blast of Mashiach. When all of humanity is declaring openly the oneness of God, right? Can you imagine what, if you heard the entire world stretching out that Dalit like that? I mean, so who knows? Maybe on a very, very deep level, that's the, that's the Tika, that's the chauffeur Gadol, you know? I'm sure it's going to be a real chauffeur. But anyway, you know, by the way, if you want to know what, what ram that chauffeur is going to be made from, we know. We have it in our tradition, which is that the, the if you remember, Abraham has Yitzchak on the altar, and then all of a sudden, he sees, he sees a ram caught in the thickets. And the angel says, no, 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 go, sacrifice that lamb. Not that ram, rather. Not, 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 uh, not Yitzchak. So he does. And the, the, one of those horns was blown at Mount Sinai when the Torah was given. And we're still waiting, right? We're still waiting. But it's going to come from the other horn of that ram will come the great chauffeur blast of Mashiach. Okay, so, so we're in the revelation business. We're in the revelation business. And part of that revelation business, because it all comes down to this, we're still in the land of the abstract, but now let me just make it super concrete, Okay. You see, there are a lot of people who believe in God. I heard Reb Shlomo say one time that um, unless you understand that God has a job for you, you don't believe in God. You see, a lot of people believe in the idea that, some, that, that something created this world. This, the more you examine the world the more you realize how improbable any other explanation other than God is. The more intellectually honest you are. See, it's, it's very interesting because we have a concept in Torah, and you see this throughout Torah, which is that free choice is being preserved at all times. Which means that, you see, a lot of people think mistakenly that if I rise to a high enough level, then 
basically I'll be beyond free choice. I won't be able to make any more mistakes. But if you understand that even at the level of Moshe Rabbeinu, that there was a Bilam, there was a counterforce, right? Bilam was the, supposed to be the, the, the Moshe for the non-Jewish world. And Bilam was a very spiritually gifted person, but he just, he didn't have his, uh, he didn't have self-mastery over his temptations and things like this. So he turned out to be a really bad guy, a thoroughly bad guy. But, but the point is that even at the level of Moshe, you have a Bilam. It also says in the Gemara that as a person increases in righteousness, that their Yetzirah, their evil inclination also increases. You would think it would be the opposite. It's not. So the point is, is that there's always, there's always the opportunity to disconnect. Science, science, it's so amazing. Science is amazing. Science is Torah. But it has to be understood in the proper way. It has to be understood in the proper way. The more you look at science, the more science reveals how infinitely complex the world is, the more you see the hand of God. And yet, ironically, because that free choice point exists at every single level, science becomes the principal barrier of religion. But it's supposed to be like that, because you always have equal and opposite forces. In other words, the more one looks into science, anatomy, all sorts of things, and now there are more and more books coming out where you can read these books and you see science explained from a religious point of view. I'm talking about like, you know, for instance, like the eye. There's a lot of Torah on the eye. When you realize how ridiculous, basically... The eye is. You realize that the concept that, you know, there's like a, uh, there's an amoeba and it became friends with another amoeba, but then it avoided the third amoeba and now all of a sudden we have trillions of cones and, I mean, it doesn't, it, the narrative is not plausible. It's not plausible. There is a creator. There has to be a creator. So, far from science disproving the idea of a creator. It's proving it all the time. But what I'm giving you over here is a very important spiritual foundation that at every source of light, you're going to have the opportunity to view it as a source of extreme darkness as well. And so, ironically, science, which is doing probably the best job in the entire world of explaining the presence an infinity of God is also looked to as the foundation of the denying of God. But that's as it should be. Don't be perplexed by that. Don't be perplexed by that. You have this spiritual principle for, for thousands of years already. This is not new. I'll give it to you in Gamatria. The word for snake, right? Nachash has the same gematria, snake, you know, means like, like the evil side, the other side, right? Nachash is the same gematria as Mashiach. Right? Which is, represents the perfection of the world. So is that, what is that, right? Is that schizophrenia? What is that? No. It's this principle we're talking about, which is that at every single level, you have both sides. You can turn either way. 
You can turn either way. You know, there's a famous story. I think it was Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai. I'm not positive, but I think this story is told in different forms about different rabbis. So, he's on his deathbed, and he's saying, they're, they're asking him, they're asking him like, what are you thinking, you know? And, uh, anyway, I don't know if this story is the one from Rabbi Yochanan ben Zakkai, but, but it's uh, certainly about another great man, if not him. You know, he says he sees two paths before him. And one of the explanations that I heard was, you know, the temptation is there to, to go out with a bang. You know, Hashem Echad. And then you die as a big tzaddik in front of everybody. You publicly die as a tzaddik, right? Because everyone saw you say the Shema and you finished with a big dalit and wow, what a tzaddik he is, right? But he was so concerned that he shouldn't be perceived as like a... a uh, guided in in an arrogant way like I don't want to be a spiritual show off so even at his last moment he saw two paths I can either go out in a truly humble way or I can go out as a show off I mean to one's final moment to one's final moment there's a path that goes both ways how are we going to access it and by the way, you know, I got to say, you know, I don't like to say bad things. I really don't. But I heard something, and I don't want to make too big a deal of it, because I've also said many times I, that you can't, you can't just hear someone speak one time, because sometimes you, you'll hear a speaker speak one time, and it'll really emphasize one point. But the truth is, and you think that's how he holds, it's just, this is X. But if you heard him speak another time, he'll say, that same point is also Y. It's also L, it's also M, right? You heard him say it's X. So you think he's very black and white on this issue and I have to be black and white on this issue and you don't get the whole 360 around the concept because you only heard him teach one time. So with that as an introduction, I heard someone say something that really bummed me out. (laughs) Without mentioning any names, but it was on the radio and it was listened to by many, many, many people, right? So they asked this person who was speaking on behalf of the Jewish people, unfortunately. They said to him, they said to him, as you've grown older, how has your relationship with God changed? Now, let me tell you something. Right? In baseball terms, that's a slow ball down the middle. That's a slow ball down the middle. You can hit a question like that out of the park. You know, you can how is your, you can say any, you can say so many beautiful things. And again, I, I don't want to be hypercritical because he probably could speak for a year on that subject, right? He's a quote-unquote scholar. So I, whatever. This is what he said. Well, he said it hasn't really changed much at all because by this point, God knows me. And he knows what I'm capable of and he knows what I'm not capable of. And then he went further, and I'm paraphrasing, I, but this was the basic thing. He says, and at this point, I know God, and I know basically what he's going to do and what he's not going to do, or what he's capable of and not capable of. I'm paraphrasing, but that certainly was the gist of it. 
I'm, not, I'm intentionally not saying who it was. <laughs> and I just, my heart fell. My heart fell. It fell. Because the whole point is, what do we just say? That they're tzaddikim who, to the last moment of their life, who are probably older than this person. It can go either way. You're constantly evolving. You're constantly evolving. That's the whole point. God is infinite. He puts your soul inside of you. That's a piece of His infinity which is in you. Which means you have the capacity to infinitely evolve. It doesn't stop. It never stops. It never stops. So we said... We said that we just read Parshas HaChodesh, which is all about the very first mitzvah given to the Jewish people. It's all about time. You have to sanctify time. So we were saying this idea that Chodesh, which means month, and that's a very, very significant chunk of time. It's a very chasha, very um, halachically and Torah-wise important quantity of time, a month. Chodesh, that's the word for month. Chodesh. Exact same letters as Chadash, which means new. The whole point is you're not stuck. It means new. New. What about Shana? Shana means year. It's the exact same word in Hebrew for change. Meaning you're not stuck. At any moment, it's new. God is saying, look, you want to get Torah? You want to get the perfection of the world? You want to get what we're supposed to be doing? You think you're stuck? You're not stuck. You're in the driver's seat. Now, forgive me, but I want to go a little bit further into time. If So, so, so I just want to, you see, the deeper sources link the whole thing in, in fascinating ways. And, and I haven't reviewed these, so I, I'm, 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 I apologize. I can't share these teachings with you right now. But they exist in, in case you want to look at them on your own. You see, the very first Rashi on the Torah says the, the word is Breshis. The fir, very first word of the Torah is Breshis. So Breshis means you know, with beginnings or in the beginning or however you want to say it, okay? We're going to talk about that in a moment. But the, the point is like this. The question is asked, how come the Torah doesn't begin with the first mitzvah that the Jewish people were given, which is what we just said, to, to make a calendar, right? With this Chodesh. And there are many links how Breshis is absolutely hinting at this mitzvah and, and all the rest. So there are beautiful, beautiful connections. But I'm not going to focus on that right now. What I am going to focus on is the fact that there were ten utterances of creation that God brought the world in, the, into existence in. And the Chachamim, the sages say that God could have done it, of course, with one utterance. But listen to the logic. This is so intense. This is so intense. Why did God do it with ten if he could have done it with one? In order, listen to this, in order to reward the righteous for elevating this world which he created out of ten sayings. In other words, 
because God, so to speak, nothing is hard for God, but humanly speaking, Kaviyocho, because God put more effort into it, that means that everything that you do becomes more important because it shows you the level of seriousness that God put into it. Do you understand? Do you understand that if God took it more seriously, if you take it more seriously, then that's even more special for Hashem. So God did it with ten utterances in order to further reward the righteous. And he did it with ten utterances instead of one, when he could have done it with one, in order to further punish the wicked who are messing up the world that he made with ten utterances. Okay? So, so this idea that God spoke um, is only listed nine times, and yet we know it was ten utterances. So different sages are trying to figure out what's the tenth utterance. So one of the, one of the opinions is that Breshis, the word Breshis itself was one of the ten utterances. And I believe I heard in the name of the Vilna Gon that said that with Breshis, meaning in the beginning, what was created with that utterance in the beginning? Time. Time was created. Now I heard from Rabbi Tatz who said, I'm pretty sure in the name of the Zohar, something very fundamental. The word breishis, meaning in the beginning, hints at something very, very deep, which is that all of creation, all of human history is a process. That's why we say in the beginning, meaning that there's a further process that's going to take place, because this is just the beginning. Now, if you say, but it says by Yehulu, by the sixth day or the seventh day, and God finished, well then doesn't that mean that this process reached its conclusion? No. This process reaches its conclusion when Mashiach comes. The physical teva, the physical aspects of nature were so to speak finished, but the process that's spoken of with the word breishis in the beginning is still ongoing right now. It's still going on right now. Okay. Now I want to add. I want to add. And then we'll wrap it up in like two minutes, okay? Something very intense that I noticed. If you look at the book of Shmos, the book of Exodus, you see something really, really interesting, which is that every single Parsha in the book of Shmos begins with the letter Vav. It's all vavs. Every single first letter of every parsha, except the last parsha, pekude, which begins with the letter aleph. So it's a whole sequence of vavs leading up to one aleph, and that's the end of the book of Exodus. Okay. So the Ramban says, "What's the what's the um, trajectory? What's the?" The, the, the overall of the book of Shmos, right? Exodus, what is it? It's the Jews leaving Egypt. It's going from exile to the finishing of the Mishkan, the tabernacle, which we said was a microcosm of the entire world, which was dedicated Rosh Chodesh Nisan, which is Monday night, right? It's Monday night, no? Right? So we're like, right, we're like the moments before creation right now. You understand that? We're the moments before creation right now of the world. Very intense thing, and we're between Purim and Pesach. By the way, I got to slip this in fast. Listen to this: 
You know, I, we did something, it was great. If you were at third meal yesterday, you really were in for a treat. I don't think anyone was here for this. It was awesome. I, I realized, you know something, we're between Purim and Pesach. And I sort of challenged everyone. I said, look, Purim begins with the letter Pei. Pesach begins with the letter Pei. Why? Why two pays? We're, we're between these two pays, these two great redemptions. Why? People, it was, it was an explosion of answers and creativity. It was great. So, one person pointed out, if you look at, and this is a, an old teaching, if you look at the letter Bays of Breshit, the first letter, inside, right, we talk about the, the white fire, right? The black fire and the white fire. So, inside the letter Bays, if you twist around, there's a pay. There's the letter pay. You have to look at the letter Bays and you can see an invisible pay, if you will. It's, on the, it's, it's made out of white fire because it's against the cloth. There's the letter pay. So in other words, these two great redemptions, Purim, which is the, the redemption where God is running the world without revealing himself while he's doing it, but saving you nonetheless, and Pesach, where God is saving you openly, right? Both of these aspects are wrapped around the first letter and curling curling around the letter Bays, such that you can say that these redemptions were brought into the world before the world was even created. Right? Because it's going even before the letter Bays of Reishi. It's awesome. Awesome. Alright, so now, so, according to the Ramban, basically, you have the Jews leaving Egypt, yeah? And then, you have the building of the Mishkan, which is the dwelling place for God, which means that the whole history of the world is us leaving Egypt and then turning the world into a dwelling place for God. Okay? Now, with that in mind, let's revisit all these vavs leading up to the big olive. Alright, we started this talk off with a small olive. Now we're ending with another olive. It's not actually a, a large olive, but it is a big olive. Meaning to say the following. Human beings are the letter Vav. We're all the letter Vav. And we're the letter Vav, so to speak, from Hashem's name. Yud and He and Vav and He. The bottom He, we say, represents this world. All the Rebbe say the bottom He is this world. The Vav is the human being connecting this world with the higher reaches of heaven. Your connection between heaven and earth, that's what you're doing. And you're revealing that unification. You yourself, through your actions, are revealing that unification of God's presence. Revealing the hidden. Okay, so you've got a whole series of vavs leading up to the olive. When we do our job, we leave Egypt, we go through all the turmoils and all the struggles. What does it mean to reveal God? A lot of people, just to finish the earlier point, a lot of people believe in God, but they believe that God created the world and He checked out. And He disappeared. This is the whole idea of unifying the name yud Hey and vav Hey. When you do that, you're showing that God is still actively involved in the direction of this world, in the perfection of this world. This is the most important message that needs to be told to the entire humanity. Because people think, ah, God's an idea, maybe He exists, maybe He created the world, He's certainly not in my life, He's certainly not running the world. That's what it means to reveal the hidden. That God is actively involved. So we've got all of these vavs which represent the human being leaving Egypt, going through our troubles, getting past them, getting the Torah. 
That's the enlargement, that's the solidification of the letter Vav, of the connection between heaven and earth, the Vav and the Yudke Vavke. And then it blossoms into this olive, right? What is, what is an olive? It's two Yuds and a Vav. All of a sudden, you take your part in there because you have revealed the hidden. And it combines with these two Yuds of Hashem's name. Rav Yitzhak Isaac Haber says, you know what? You know what this name of God is? Yud and Yud? It's the beginning of the Yud Ke Vav Ke, and then it's Aleph Dalad Nun Yud. It's the beginning of the Yud Ke Vav Ke, and the end of Aleph Dalad Nun Yud, which represents God's mastery over all of creation. You put these two Yuds together, it spells the name of God. You put the Vav in there, it makes that Aleph. Right? And that's the revelation of God. That's the completion of the Mishkan, of the tabernacle. That's turning this world into a dwelling place for God. Alright, so now, that's the Ark. That's the Ark of Shmos. Loves humans getting the Torah and making this world into a dwelling place for God. It, it culminates with this olive. Okay, say so one last point. Breshis, which hints at this process. Breshis, and I apologize for running a tiny bit late. I promise I'm going to finish. Breshis, Breshis is an intense word. Breshis, I want to say, contains the entire microcosm of all of creation right in it. Now, let me tell you something. In the name of Rabbi Moshe Shapiro, Shlita, one of the biggest rabbis in the world, he explained Atbash in the following way, the system of letter reversal. When you say the word as it's normally written, this is, this is the level of revelation. When you atbash it, which is, you know, the letter substitution where you take aleph and turn it into tuf and bays and turn it into shin and you go all throughout the aleph base, there's 11 letters, 22 letters total. Each one can flip over into another letter. Okay? It's a very deep form of Torah interpretation, but you have to do it with a rabbi. Anyway, the point is like this. When you do the atbash level of the word, you get to the perception of the concept. The normal spelling is revelation. The Atbash level is perception. We'll explain it. It won't take long. If I give you a recipe, right, until I finish all of the ingredients, you don't know what to make. In other words, the speaker has to finish speaking. That which needs to be revealed must be revealed. And then after the revelation is complete, perception can begin. Do you follow? If you, get in, if you get the address to someone's house, until you get the address, the number of the house at the end, you don't know where to go yet. You have to let the person finish. Breshis, isn't it interesting that the word Breshis ends with the letter Tuf, which is the last letter of the olive base. In other words, until Hashem finishes this world with the completion of and the arrival of Mashiach, we don't know exactly what it is that God is doing yet. We have to get to the end. We have to get to the tough of Breshis. Then we're going to see what it is that God's been doing all along. Once the revelation is complete, then perception can begin. Now, you get to the tough, the end of Breshis, and what's so cool, again, we see Breshis is a microcosm there, because it goes all the way to the end, even within the first word, which is hinting at the process, 
right? Because in the beginning it's only part of the process, and yet you see it contains the entire process on another level, by ending with tough, by, by including the ending in it, okay? So the, re- the revelation is complete when the tough is revealed, when the end is revealed, when Mashiach comes, now perception can kick in. That tough then turns into the letter Aleph, because that's Atbash. So now we can perceive Hashem. Right? Because Aleph stands for God. So now we can perceive, perceive Hashem. And that, I want to say, is the Aleph of Pekude. The Aleph at the end of Shmos. The Aleph, which means that the entire world has been turned into a dwelling place of Hashem. Once Hashem brings Mashiach, and we've got the third base Hamigdash, and all of the truth is revealed, right? Then all of a sudden that top, the end, that top turns into an Aleph. And we begin to perceive what it is that Hashem has been doing all along. So Hashem should bless us that here we are, we should really be able to bring a Korban Pesach this year to Yerushalayim, and that we should see with our own eyes the Aleph. Mm-hmm.